I'm going to let you in on a secret weapon that's going to skyrocket your sales without the unnecessary headaches that come with using one of the big player CRM systems. And that secret weapon is close, close CRM. Let's face it. We've all used a clunky, confusing CRM platform. The one that kind of makes you want to throw your laptop out the window. Well, close is going to save you time, money, and sanity. Close has all the powerful tools you need to manage your leads, track your deals, and crush your targets. It has built-in calling, emailing, SMS, multi-channel sequences, and meeting tracking. It's super easy to implement, and it's built for your business. You can stop screwing around with CRMs that aren't built for you and start selling and managing your customers today. Use the link in the show notes and enter the promo code SSP15. That's SSP15 for 15% off your first three months. Go check them out. All right, everybody, it's my pleasure to introduce my guest today, Dave Brashears. Dave, who's based in Austin, Texas, is the chief revenue mechanic for Silicon Hills Revenue Lab. He's also the chief evangelist of Outreach Pros. And we get more into his background during the conversation, but he talks about his time at companies like Edgecase, Outreach, and Sapper, and how during his time there, he dug really deep into what does and doesn't work with sequences. We talk about what's missing in the modern outbound approach, and he shares a lot of actionable ways that you can rethink how you're creating your sequences today to get more meetings and ultimately sell more deals. We talk about his upcoming book, and he shares just a lot of really great insight into the art of prospecting as well as the science behind it. So without further ado, welcome Dave. Do you go by Dave or David? Um, I'm agnostic, but everybody eventually winds up calling me Dave. Dave. All right. That's what I'm going to call you too. Dave, really glad to have you on the show. I'm super glad we got connected. Uh, it was a mutual connection of ours, Kenny Madden, who oh, nice. tagged me in a post and said I should get you on the show. So shout out to Kenny. He's one of the OGs and one of the best in like the prospecting business. So that when a recommendation comes from Kenny, you know, you got to have that person on your pod. That's fantastic. Thank you, Kenny. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe start with your background. How did you get into tech sales and business development? Absolutely. So uh, I actually came to this whole thing pretty late. I didn't have my first SDR job until just before my 41st birthday. Wow. So I, I spent the uh, the first 20 or so years of my professional career as an aspiring academic. Um, I was going to be a communication studies professor, um, taught public speaking and argumentation and coached the debate team at the University of Texas and uh, Houston Tillotson University here in Austin for about, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And then I uh, had a kid. And when I had a kid, I figured out, holy shit, do I not want to be a college professor? Um, suddenly money became something of more interest to me, which I really hadn't given a shit about up until that point in my life. Right. And so a buddy of mine who's a recruiter said, you know what? You're kind of built for sales. It's a communication activity. Everything you did in debate was basically objection handling and putting together value propositions and being persuasive. And I was like, all right, fuck it. I'll give it a try. Um, and so I did. And I uh, started as an SDR at a company called Invoto, um, got promoted to AE about I don't know, four or five months into the gig, and then spent the next 10 years as an enterprise account executive, um, working at a few venture-backed startups and eventually landing at a company called Outreach. Um, you may have heard of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was there from about 2017 until 2020, at which time I left mm -hmm. and founded the professional services practice at Sapper Consulting. Um, ran that for a couple of years. We sold to Abstract Marketing, at which time I left and have been doing kind of my own solo consulting ever since. That's how I got here today. 
That's awesome. So that, that's <laughs> your inspiration out there for anybody who's under 41 and feels like they're quite to where they need to be in their tech sales career. That's pretty awesome that uh, you were able to have still such an amazing career. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that say it's harder to get into tech the older you are. And mm-hmm. I think you're, you're a nice testament to that's just not true. It really comes down to what your motivations are and what you're, you know, how well you can sell yourself into these roles and what kind of skill set you bring to the table. And it sounds like you had a lot of the the sales skills and you're able to apply those, uh, you know, into an actual sales job versus just the communications and, and academia. So that's really awesome. Yeah. You know, hopefully that's an inspiration for some hiring managers out there to maybe take a look at an application or two that might not fit your traditional expectations of what an SDR are. Um, Some of the SDRs that I've worked with that have been most successful have been those folks that have transitioned from something else. A lot of folks who have been teachers, a lot of folks who have been in the service industry and come over later in life. And what they all genuinely have in common is a natural curiosity and a willingness to meet people. They're, They're folks who are kind of Um, if not naturally outgoing, they're able to make themselves outgoing when they need to be and can just have a natural human conversation. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. The, the best reps have more that, you know, more substance to them. They've have more life experience underneath their belt a lot of times before they get into a role, even just a BDR role, right? Mm -hmm. Because then they can sort of talk shop a little bit better with prospects, at least talk life. Right. And that's, important part of selling is building authenticity and, you know, being a consultant and someone who people can bounce ideas off of. So I totally agree with that. And I I like the, the player, you know, I like the, the invite to hiring managers out there to look beyond just the new college grad, you know, don't stop hiring those people, but also give, give a couple of people that have some life experience a shot as well. Well, and it makes for an interesting team too, right? Because if you can get some of those folks who bring a slightly different perspective, and this is true of not just age, uh, you know, variants, but, you know, folks of different racial backgrounds, folks from different regions, uh, there are lots of reasons why you would want to diversify your your sales development teams. We can tend to become very homogenous in how we think. And when you're talking about something like going to market and talking to lots of diverse customers, it's probably a good idea to have some diverse voices in the mix and some diverse ideas about how best to do that. Yeah. Tell us uh, a little bit about, you've been at mostly early companies, it seems. So I know when you joined Outreach, they were pretty early on. Uh, what has it been like coming into early stage companies and trying to develop business in maybe a new market or mm-hmm. a logo, what's been your process for that? You know, uh, so every company I've worked with has had a couple of things in common. One is they're all early stage and they're kind of category defining products. I haven't really worked at an early stage company that was coming in as a late entrant. Um, they were all kind of companies that did something that was going to require educating a buyer about a new way to solve a problem. It might even be a problem that they didn't even know how to articulate or to know it as a problem. They just knew the pain that was associated. And that's the thing that really excited me. I I love the idea of getting to go out and figure out how to break into a new market and figure out, you know, how do we attach this thing that we have to something that that customer cares about? And if you can figure out how to bridge that gap at the very top of the funnel, that's a that's a super exciting thing. And so even as an enterprise seller, getting those conversations started was one of the most important or one of the most impactful and interesting things that I did. Um, the how that I did it, you know, I, 
I got really lucky. My very first job was at a company called Invoto. And Invoto no longer exists. I think they may have sold the the carcass of the company to somebody before it went out. But uh, this was a company that sold video technology to e-commerce companies. So basically making product videos that could sit on your product pages back in like 2010, when we were still kind of carving out e-commerce. And the reason why that job was such a good place to start as an SDR is because on the very first day, they handed me a copy of the Internet Retailer 500, a catalog that was the 500 top Internet retailers. And it was literally a physical, like a 300 page paper catalog. And they're like, here you go. You own everything in the eastern third of the United States. Wow. And I was like, that was it. So that was my territory, right? We didn't have, this was back before brands were still, were selling direct to consumer, right? They were largely still selling through Best Buy if they were electronics or someone else, right? So a fairly limited set of targets. So that was number one. I had this limited set of targets. Number two is they, they made it so that if you booked a meeting with someone who was on the first 100 of the internet retailer 500 list, you would get three points. And if you book somebody on 101 to 250, you'd get two points and 251 to, to 500, you got one point. And if they weren't on the list, the only way that the meeting would count is if an AE said, yeah, there's actually an opportunity here. And then if that opportunity closed, if it didn't, you still didn't get paid. Right. So as an SDR, you had to make a certain number of points every month and you could make them through any combination. So it was perfect because one, it gave me this really narrow set of targets that I had to go after. I didn't have a choice of churning through accounts. Those were your accounts. You only got like 130 of them and you got to go make hay. And so we were forced to do these really long engagements. So I learned to be an SDR in 2010 meant you had to go find five, 10 people at a company and you had to engage them for months at a time until they eventually broke down and took a meeting with you, which sounds a whole lot like what we try to do as sequences now. And so what I liked about it and what I learned at that time was to do outbound conversations. If you are a company that's selling a nascent product into a market that doesn't exist, you are category defining, you cannot wait for customers to come knocking on your door. Yeah. You, you're, you'll die if you sit and wait for customers to show up, for the marketing engine to catch up to a point that your demand generation efforts and your SEO and your paid social and your paid everything is going to start producing enough inbound leads that you can fill the pipeline. It just doesn't happen. And so for those companies that have to go outbound, that kind of rigor and discipline that said you, you only get these accounts, you're going to have to go after them in a sustained fashion. You're going to have to get creative in how you do it. You can't just send the same email over and over again. You're going to have to pick up the phone. All of those things became a lesson in pursuit that I found worked in every single company that I went to. Every company that was selling something new, selling to a customer that wasn't familiar with it, didn't have a budget for it, wasn't in cycle you were going to have to do work to break into it. And so I think that's the common denominator that I took, whether I was an AE or an SDR, I knew that it was going to take an investment of time to land those important accounts. Yeah. Walk us through maybe how that's changed too, because I, I completely agree with that. And this is, this is how I learned to prospect, right? Was a very focused ICP list, a very yep. specific territory, and you had to play the long game in some ways. Yep. And I think at some point we've, we've lost connection with that, right? We now, it seems like an SDR comes in and maybe they have in some cases, especially in an early company, they have like 10,000 accounts they could theoretically reach out to. And the goal now is, all right, what's the best sequence I can write and push, mm -hmm. you know, tens of thousands of leads through that sequence. I'm being a little bit, you know, extreme here. I know it's not always that way, but- But I, that's the core problem. You're, you're not so extreme that it's not spot on. <laughs> 
Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the difference is like, you got to come in and you have to build these long-term relationships and it's a slow burn, right? You've got to be consistent enough that you can actually get some name recognition with your buyers versus sending 10,000 people one outreach sequence, you know, I don't know, a couple times a year. Instead, you're, you know, you're following up every few weeks or however the cadence is with a very targeted list of, of people. And well, yeah, go ahead. I'd say even more than that too. Not, not to interrupt, but sorry about that. But uh, what really gets me is we did two things that I think were a mistake. When I first got to outreach, right? I, my company that I was working with before I went to outreach was actually one of outreach's earliest customers. Um, and we were literally on a video that they did that was like the founders and they were thanking their first like 10 customers and edge case was one of them. And so I came from edge case and we were a tiny little shop. We had like three SDRs and me as an account executive and managing a couple of things. And when I saw the tool, I didn't have a seat in it. It was just the SDRs using it. And my first thought was, oh, this is like, yes, we're on steroids. All the reps were doing was using it to send out what were seemingly one-to-one -one communication, but it was essentially just email templates. And they strung them together in a sequence, but it was all emails. And I was like, this is garbage. It, if you don't make phone calls, you're fucked. And sure enough, the reps that used it to just become an email marketer failed. And the ones that continued picking up the phone, engaging on LinkedIn, doing the actual work, continued to book meetings. So my thought was outreach is dog shit. And then a buddy of mine, Jerry Farr, who happened to be running sales enablement there, called and said, hey, we got an opening. You should come check us out. And I was kind of like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. My wife convinced me I was an idiot for not even going. And I went out there, interviewed, and I fell in love. And what I fell in love with was I had the platform completely wrong. Yeah. I thought of it as a sales acceleration platform. And in fact, when I got to outreach, we were still trying to name the category. And sales acceleration was one of the things that we talked about. You could take this shit ton of contacts from Salesforce. You could just plop them into a sequence and then boom, sales accelerated. Huh. But that's absolutely not what the best companies were doing. All of the best companies were doing a very targeted approach. They weren't approaching this like Marketo for sales. Instead, they were picking out their very best accounts and the best prospects within those accounts and multiples of those. Outreach used to have a rule called Rule 52 that said, for any account you're going to engage, you need to engage up to five prospects, two of which have to be in a decision-making or champion role. So they got to be director or above on the authority scale, right? And so... The the thing that I got really excited about at Outreach was this is not about sales acceleration. What frustrated me as a seller of Outreach is that that's how many customers chose to use it. And Ap Apollo and Groove and Sales Loft and all of us were ultimately vulnerable. It's nothing designed into the tools themselves, but they were put into the hands of people who thought the job was to be a marketer and worse, to be an email marketer, which is the worst kind of marketer. Right. And so we took this one to one communication platform and we turned it into a one to many communication platform. We stopped doing things like engaging on LinkedIn, learning about the company, learning about the prospect, making phone calls, doing voicemails, engaging over time to earn attention. The reason why sequences work is because it took more than 10 touches to get somebody to pick up the phone one time. And if you only make one to two phone calls, you're terminally fucked. You will not succeed. That's where we broke down. We broke down because sales acceleration became the idea in everybody's head. And they stopped looking at this as a tool to do very targeted work. And, and that's, I think, the mistake. We, we stopped looking at this as something that allowed us to be really excellent at starting effective conversations and instead tried to make massive engagement happen. And that's not what it's for. So where do we go from here? How do we fix this 
you know, this, this situation that we've, we've created here where this is now the culture, right. Is yeah. you roll, you roll out a sales loft or an outreach or a, a you know, yeah. tool. And rather than do it the way that's the correct way to use these, you just become an email marketer. How do we fix this? I mean, I think there are a few ways to fix it. I think one is the folks who are responsible for this, the thought leaders, the folks who have built these platforms, Lavender, who's an email company, everyone who is involved in sales development technology needs to get on the bandwagon of saying, we're not building this shit so you can become mass marketers. That's not what this is for. And we have to draw just a dividing line between what it is that sellers do when they're having one-to-one conversations with prospects at the top of the funnel and what marketers are doing to get people to meet us there, right? Because that's, that's the difference in those tactics. So that's one thing. I think two is each individual company needs to get their folks to slow down and reduce the target size. My starting at Invoto was great because I had the internet retailer 500 and that was it. That was your territory. That was your target list. You could not add more. You could not cycle in and out. Like you had to make that work. I'm not saying that everybody should just pick a set of accounts and never touch it. But if you consider a a high touch sequence, right, should be somewhere around a month, 22 business days. It's probably going to be somewhere between 15 and 17 touches, combination of emails and phone calls. It's probably going to be seven phone calls, seven emails, three LinkedIn touches or something like that. Those emails are mostly going to be automated because we're trying to get people to pick up the phone. If I'm running a good set of sequences like that for my high touch customers and some medium and low touch for others, an SDR doing an account-based engagement, meaning I'm going to pick an account and I'm going to put three to five prospects into that sequence. It's like gambling and roulette. If I put all my chips down on one number in roulette, I got a one in 37 shot of hitting. If I put them on five numbers, I got a one in 17 shot. So why the fuck am I going to put all my chips on one number? Same thing is true in prospecting. You don't have the same mathematical certainty because we can spin the wheel in prospecting and the ball just never lands. But you up your chances and you diversify your risk if you engage more people. So every rep is engaging up to five prospects within an account using a combination of high touch and low touch sequences. In a quarter, a good SDR, assuming you're getting about a 20% reply rate and a 5% conversion rate, meaning booking 5% of those in the meetings, you'll be able to touch at most about 250 accounts. Yeah. Yep. Most SDRs have upwards of 1,500 to 5,000 accounts in their territory. What the fuck am I going to do with 5,000 accounts when I can touch 250 a quarter, right? I'm just going to spend the next 10 years working this territory. Like that makes no sense, right? So I think companies have to be smart in the way they allocate so that people start thinking smaller. I don't need to bite off 10,000 prospects if all I've got in my territory are 250 accounts. That's a much smarter way to start the process. And then the, the last thing I'll say on that is, you just got to slow down. You've got to start recognizing that the this is not an email blast situation. The the inbox is is a nightmare right now. The phone is dead. Not because cold calling is dead, because nobody's picking it up. I do, I can count. I'm getting prospected left and right. And the number. The last time I had a voicemail, I'll just I'll look. The last time I had a voicemail from anybody prospecting me that didn't come up as spam risk that left a voicemail. Yeah is not in July. I'm still scrolling. Nobody leaves. I'm being prospected by like 50 plus people right now for the different companies that I'm involved in. And nobody is leaving me voicemail. So anybody that says the phone is dead, bullshit. My phone number is on my LinkedIn profile. Like if you can't contact me on my mobile, you're an idiot. And 
<laughs> nobody is. So it leads me to believe that it's not bad mobile numbers and it's not people don't pick up the phone. It's that we have believed our own bullshit. We believed our own belief that nobody picks up the phone. Hey, when everybody left for COVID, they stopped answering their work phone. No, they didn't. They all forwarded their work phone to their mobile phone, you idiots. It's not like companies suddenly went, oh, well, I guess we'll never talk to our people again. Um, that didn't happen. But but there's this like urban legend that somehow people stop using the phone to communicate. That's not true. And the data bears it out, right? Connection rates have not dropped off precipitously. And the companies that continue to use multi-touch, multi-channel sequences continue to book meetings and a disproportionate number continue to book on the phone call touches. So we just got to get over ourselves. That shit's just wrong. So now we're we're here in 2023. Cold calling's not dead. You know, there's there seems to be kind of a misfire in approach. And certainly there's there's reps that are not being coached on things yeah. like the importance of leaving a voicemail and the importance of having a really good one-to-one -one communication with a buyer versus this, you know, one-to-many, one-to-thousands. <clears throat> I'd never actually thought about the math. I love that you've broken down the math of like, if you have 5,000 leads in your name in Salesforce and you can only work, you know, 200, 250 a quarter, then yeah, are you supposed to spend the next 10 years just slowly working down that list? And why are we doing that? Why yeah. are we handing off? Like, why don't we prioritize and just give people the chunk that they can consume? Hell, if it's 250 a quarter, why are we not assigning a hundred a month? Yeah. Right. Why? And then if anybody else comes in, you can cycle them up because we need to balance out and make sure everybody gets a fair pipe. This makes no sense to me. Yeah. What comes to mind to me too, it's something I read in a book, uh, The Ultimate Sales Machine. Mm -hmm. Great book. I think, yeah. And he talks about how in any given moment, there's only a very small, I don't know what the percentage is off the top of my head, but there's a very small percentage of people that are actually. Yeah. Like six to 10%, somewhere, somewhere in that. So we're reaching out to, you know, theoretically hundreds or thousands of people that may not even care right now and may not care for another year and a half what we're even. Yeah. So then there's but that. right now, but you said it, it's right now, or it's a year and a half. The, yeah. the mistake is that I think we make two mistakes and this goes back to cold calling. One of the mistakes we make is that reps will make one or two calls on a prospect and then decide since they didn't answer those one or two calls that they're not going to answer the phone and they stop making the calls. We've seen this and I've been working with clients who use outreach or sales loft or other sales engagement platforms now for six years. And there is traditionally and continually this, this curve. It's a bell-shaped curve that demonstrates we get more responses after about the fifth to seventh touch in a sequence. They continue to climb to the middle portion of a sequence before dropping down, reaching a point of diminishing returns at the end, right? And we we at Outreach, we used to run sequences like 45 and 60 days. And we very quickly figured out that point of diminishing returns is well before that. 30 days, a month-long engagement tends to be about the sweet spot that you can afford to invest in before you need to switch to someone else. Reps are stopping their engagements after the first week or into the second week. They're making two touches when we know that the bulk of conversion is happening on the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh phone calls. Yeah. They're not getting anywhere remotely close to that. So that's one mistake. We're making calls, but when we do them, we're not doing them in the sustained fashion that are why sequences work right? It's persistence. It's that continuing to communicate. And remember, it's not banging them over the head with the same thing over and over again. A sequence tells a story. It lets you over a number of touch points, learn something about the prospect, tell them something about you, demonstrate your understanding of their world. And so if you're not doing that over time, then you're you're obviously not doing a good job. But that that I think is one of the reasons why cold callings fail is we, we just aren't making the dials. And then I had something else to say, but I've already lost it. So. I wanted to share a tool that I started using recently. And if you're doing any prospecting or lead sourcing from LinkedIn, it's definitely worth checking out. 
The tool is called Surf and it's spelled S-U-R-F-E. It's a Chrome extension that allows you to add contacts to your CRM directly from LinkedIn. I use it to add contacts quickly, follow my deals, keep track of my notes, and it's actually saved me a bunch of time. The data is always 100% accurate because I don't have to copy and paste each detail from each contact over to my CRM. Instead, Surf does it all for me automatically with just one click. Now, the folks over at Surf have been kind enough to put together a promo offer for fans of SSP. You can go to the link in the show notes and use the promo code JWSURF with an E5 for a 5% discount on your first year. Check out the link in the show notes and go check them out. Well, I wanted to ask you about AI. You know, now now that we're mm-hmm. in a scenario where in the next six months, let's say next year, I think we're going to start to hear a lot more about generative AI and those kinds mm-hmm. of things. How are you working with your clients right now? And, you know, of course, reps, how can reps think about this wave of, of automation that's coming into the game and how can they still keep their humanity and maintain some of those old principles? And I don't even want to call them old. They're not, they're just timeless principles of building a connection with your buyer and helping them solve problems versus trying to yeah. spam marketers. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I think AI will eventually be an amazing tool that augments a lot of what we do. I'm an advisor on two companies that are AI companies right now. And so I've seen some of the amazing things that this technology could do. I also know how far away it is from actually being able to deliver truly reliable next step advice in most cases. Look, the data sets that we're working with are incredibly incomplete. The practices that AI is looking at to determine what best looks like are incredibly all over the place, right? So I think it's going to get a minute to train up on what good looks like within each one of the varied verticals. I think that a lot of the work being done right now is fairly undifferentiated in what our our target markets look like. And so I think for a while, reps need to be very cognizant of AI is going to be there to help you, but it's largely going to deliver you a product that still requires you to stress test to you know, make sure that it accords with your reality, make sure it doesn't sound like everything else. I think the second thing that's gonna happen is for a long time, AI is gonna drive a lot of homogeneity in messaging, right? Because it, you're, you're gonna plug into a Lavender or a Reggie or any of these other platforms that's going to have encoded what good looks like. And so anybody who goes in with a certain market segment, certain vertical, certain set of buyers, you're gonna get a very similar output. The messaging is going to sound very similar, which means all of those emails are going to be more effective than today's current emails, but they're going to be competing with other emails that now sound identical to them, right? So there's going to be a tremendous amount of homogeneity in the communication and messaging by email. That's totally fucking cool. You know why? Because email isn't what sellers do. We're not email marketers. All email, I cannot say this loudly or slowly enough, all email is designed to do is get a phone call answered. Yeah. Period. It, period. Yeah. If you want to be a seller, you talk, you don't write. Nobody has sold shit by writing a really effective email. That's never, ever happened. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to get on the phone and you got to get comfortable talking to people and you got to use the awkward silences and you got to get used to comfortable with people that don't like you. And you've got to work through that shit and you've got to be resilient and all those things that make you a successful seller beyond the top of the funnel, you learn those lessons by getting on the phone as an SDR. And that's, by the way, where your true talent lies, your ability to deliver your message in a personal conversation. There is nothing, there is the most personal email in the world 
is less personal than the least personal phone call that ever happened, right? Phone is by definition more personal than email. It is a voice connected to another voice, right? It allows you synchronous communication. It's easier to overcome an objection. It's harder to say no to someone when they ask you a question on the phone than it is via email. Why would we want to have email be the place where we try to do our selling? So I think ultimately AI is going to make it impossible for folks to stand out in the inbox, and it's going to force sellers to refocus their attention on the places that they can stand out. That means LinkedIn. And I don't mean fucking sending out LinkedIn in no, no pitch slapping. All LinkedIn is for is to demonstrate your credibility and understanding and your connections and being able to like and comment and differentiate yourself as a human being approaching that person. Never, ever, ever pitch. If they say, I need this product, does anybody sell it? That is the only time when you're invited on LinkedIn to say, yes, I would like to pitch you something. If they don't literally raise their hand and say that, stop. Just use that channel to be Dave, the guy that they want to talk to because Dave keeps showing up and contributing. And so eventually one of those emails is going to trigger one of my phone calls to get answered, yeah. but it's the phone call that I want to do the selling. So a lot of my listeners, they, they reach out and ask, you know, how, how can I be prepared for the coming year? Let's call it, or the next 18 months. And a lot of my listeners are SDRs. Some of them are, are reps. And maybe we focus a little bit on, on the prospectors, the, the business developers out there. What kind of changes are you anticipating here in the next year, year and a half in the industry? I've had a couple of guests on the show say, if you're in an SDR seat, time to figure out how to get to a closer role or something else. What's your take on the evolution of the industry here in the next year and a half? I I think there's going to be a couple of interesting things. I think that we're going to get a lot better. The, the thing that encourages me the most about the new technology that's being developed is around intense signals. I think the the hard part about what we do as sales developers right now is exactly what you said. We've got a limited number of companies that we can go after and only, what, 6 to 10% of those are in the market at any given time, which means we're largely throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks and hoping something sticks. With better data around which companies are actually in market right now, Sixth Sense, Bombora, Tech Target, Zoom Info Insights, like we have a plethora of new tools that are designed to give us better intelligence in terms of target selection. I think in one respect, the SDRs who become better signal analysts, better at understanding, because what you're going to get with Sixth Sense is you're going to get something that every day says there are a hundred accounts that you could go reach out to. Well, yeah. okay, that's stupid. You you still don't get to pick up the phone and make one dial. You're still going to have to put them into sequences. It's still going to take time to get that conversation started. If they are truly in market and they're not coming inbound to you yet, that means they probably have an evaluation going and they're not really trying to invite a lot more people in, which means it's going to take some persistence to break into that conversation. And so the SDRs who stand out are going to be the ones that can take that large list of intense signals and tell me the ones that actually are buying indicators like this is buying behavior this is not an end, this is not an end user looking for like how to guides this is a executive on a product page looking at pricing one is buying behavior and the other is not right they're also going to look at things like authority are the people that are doing the actions the actual people that make good entry points for sales conversations if it's a bunch of individual contributors doing a bunch of individual contributory things that's awesome but that's not an indication that the executives at the company are in a buying state, right? So the SDRs who learn how to take this data 
that's going to be a mess to begin with while we learn how to cull it down and get it better. Those are the ones that are going to win because what they're going to do is stop trying to use their sales engagement platform as a spam cannon, stop relying on email, and instead figure out that if they can identify the accounts that are most likely to be in market at the moment and the buyers within those accounts who are the best entry points for a sales conversation, they're going to win. And that data is becoming more accessible to us. I don't know that we're training people to do that well right now, but if I were an SDR, that's where I would invest the majority of my time is learning how to use the tools at my disposal that tell me which companies are going to be actually in market and then focusing my attention on constantly hitting the target that is the most likely to convert at any given time. Wow. That's great advice. I think that's, that's dead on. And hopefully everyone out there listening can, can figure out a way to action that right. Or, or to implement that right away. What are some, some ideas you have for someone who's listening right now who wants to implement that in the next month, right? How do you start yep. to begin to kind of shift your mindset from this, this rut that we've fallen into the spam marketer to yep. way? All right. So a, a couple of things first, Every time you pick an account to engage, you're committing to that account for the life of the sequences that you're using, right? So if you're using good best practice sequences, if you're using a Beck Holland sequence, if you're using Sam Nelson's Agoji sequence, if you're using pretty much anything, uh, you know, KD has put together, they're all going to be approximately a month. They're going to be somewhere between 10 and 20 touches. There will vary between them. But for the most part, you're going to be using something like that. They're, those are high touch sequences. You'll be using lower touch sequences to go after individual contributors who could function as informants or perhaps influencers who might be able to get you to a decision maker, but aren't decision makers themselves. Commit to the account that you pick and commit to going after three to five prospects within each account that you pick. And you're going to run those sequences for the duration. So if they're 30 days, 22 business days is how I run mine. If you're going to invest a month of your time, then you're going to be committed for that month. Secondly, you can only add somewhere between probably three to six accounts a day into a sequence every day for about a week, maybe two weeks before you start to hit what's going to be your functional limit. And that's your daily activity capacity. There are only so many things that you can do in a day, so many emails you can send, phone calls you can make, LinkedIn touches you can do. For most reps, that is somewhere in the 80 to 100 touches per day. The, the touches break down like this. A phone call with a voicemail takes approximately three minutes, including the, the calls that we connect with that should take about five to six minutes at most, right? LinkedIn touches take somewhere between one to three minutes. We're usually just engaging. We're not sending in mails. We're not doing other things. We're trying to find a post, something that's relevant to comment on it, like it, share it, do something to just engage with that prospect. And, and emails, if we're doing templated emails correctly, should take no more than three minutes to personalize. That means every one of our touches in our sequence, every manual touch point should be approximately three minutes. That means 20 an hour. If you work four hours of your day, just doing sequence task execution, that's 80 touches a day, right? Wow. So the next thing that I would do is figure out my capacity limit. And I would make sure I never put more people into sequence than I can execute the associated tasks in a timely manner. Because why do sequences work? right? There's a stacking effect. The preceding touches increase the likelihood of a subsequent touch getting answered, which means if there's a great distance between your touches, you lose the stacking effect and the sequence stop working. It's like just making a phone call out of the blue instead of making a phone call that's being leveraged based on the LinkedIn touch that you did the day before and the email that you sent out just prior, mm -hmm. right? So 
knowing that you've got a limited number of things that limited number of customers that you can engage, limited number of accounts, I'd start by every day saying, okay, I'm going to pick a handful of accounts and I'm going to pick three to five prospects per account. When you have that limit, now when you go to your tools to look at what does six cents say are my best accounts, you have a much different filter. You're not trying to sort the top hundred. You're trying to find the three to five accounts today that make the best sense for you to invest today. And now here's the thing. Once you've made that investment, that investment is banked for 30 days. You don't get to go tomorrow and be like, ooh, now there's a better account. I'm going to take these guys out, put this one in. Because if you do that, you're constantly going to be chasing the shiny object and you're fucked because you're never going to let those sequences do the work that they need. You're going to be chasing a signal that's going to be variant on a daily basis. And so once you make that decision, it's in stone. For 30 days, you're going to run that sequence through. Now, you may decide, depending on the responses that you get, whether you go after other people in that account where you continue pursuing it after 30 days or whether you cycle to something else. But I would start with that limitation. Instead of me looking at my entire list of target accounts, I would say I've got this very narrow set of things that I can do today, three to five accounts, three to five prospects per account. Now, when I open up six cents, the next thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to look at that behavior and I'm not just going to ask, is there activity at this account level? I'm going to say, is this buying activity? And is this buying activity from somebody with authority? And when I look at those things, I'm then going to say, is this one of my top accounts? right? Everybody should have a list of like their top hundred accounts that they want to get into. And that kind of trumps. If you've got an account that's not so great and you've got an account that's your top and the engagement score on the not so great one is a little bit better than this one, always go for your better account. That marginal difference in engagement is much less important than they're the right ICP. They look like our best customers. They're highly likely to expand. They're a bigger initial sale. We have more examples of success. The use case is a better fit. All of those criteria are ultimately more important than there are some people doing some things that look like they want to buy. And so you've got to be careful that you don't lose sight of what your best prospects look like while you're chasing the shiny object of intent data. But if you do those things, I think it's very easy to use those tools effectively. I think you just got to be careful that you don't continually chase something that looks like it's hot today. And then stop doing it after that day because you found something else hot the next one. That's a disaster. Yeah. So you're working on a book right now. I'd love to hear uh, a little bit about the the kind of thesis for the book. What's What can someone expect who might want to get on your wait list? Um, <laughs> the book already out, actually. I don't remember now. No, it's, it's the book is such a pain in the ass. So the, the book is has gone through a couple iterations. I wrote like literally six chapters in a month and a half, and it was dense copy, and it was ultimately this like fucking hateful diatribe against everybody who's doing sales development wrong. And just like, you know, you fucking idiots, what are you doing? And that wasn't what I wanted to write. That was not the purpose of the book. I would read that though. It was kind of sweet. I mean, I'm not going to lie that some of the people that I shared it out to for advance were like, this is awesome, but totally not what you should, you should publish. (laughs) So um, it's, it's probably, it, it may rear its ugly head someday. What I was really trying to write and what I'm getting back to now is kind of the how to Like I've had this really privileged seat for the last six years. I've gotten to be on the front lines 
of the sales technology revolution. First as a as an enterprise account executive at Outreach, and then as a strategic account manager at Outreach, and then as the you know VP of professional services at Sapper, I've gotten to work with scores and scores of companies that are using Outreach and Salesloft and Groove and Apollo and blah 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 blah. And I've gotten to see all kinds of problems. And the what I've ultimately taken from that is there are some very definite things that the companies doing sales development well are doing the same. There's some slight variation on their themes, but things like SDRs aren't writing their own sequences. They're relying heavily on phone calls. Sequences are more than 10 touches. Like there are just some fairly hard you know, rules about how to do this well. And then there are a lot of companies that I see that are facing the shit storm of the laissez-faire approach to sales development. They have tens of thousands of sequences. They are of varying quality. They don't have any idea what's working and what's not because it's utter chaos in their sales process. And as a result, their forecast is a disaster. They can't tell me if a rep is going to produce 10 meetings or two meetings in a month. A rep can one month have 50 and the next month have zero and they have no idea why that is, right? So the book is essentially my attempt to say, hey, look, having seen a ton of this shit, here are the things that the companies that are doing well are doing right. And here are the things that are companies that are doing poorly are suffering from. And here's kind of the blueprint for how to make this thing work effectively. So excising all of the, the mean shit, um, it's hopefully going to be a much more constructive book. It is likely going to be released sometime in, I'm hoping before October, because I would like to have a big thing at uh, Outreach's Unleash Conference, but it is uh, definitely going to be on Kajabi. It's not going to be a traditional book. I think each chapter is going to come with lessons, um, sort of worksheets that you can go through. It's intended to be a very practical exercise for folks who are trying to get their sales development house in order. So wow. still in progress. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn if you would like to stay updated. I keep publishing pieces of it just in LinkedIn posts because I'm just impatient um, and want to hear what conversation it sparks. So if you uh, if you check out any of the posts for the last few weeks, you, you've already gotten some preview. It sounds like you'll be at Unleash in October. Is that right? I will. I'll be at Unleash in October. Um, I'm about to re-kick in on the the uh, convention scene, the conference scene, um, which is weird. I haven't been in a couple of years and it's going to be totally rusty, but I'm kind of excited. Uh, I'll be attending, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll be attending Outreach uh, Unleash as well. This is my first. All right, there you go. And All right, then. Yeah, we'll get to meet in person that way. And I guess for anyone out there listening, seek, seek David and I out. Absolutely always eager to meet, you know, listeners, fans, and, you know, of course guests. So yeah, it should be a good, good event. And same, like this is my first time going back to a conference in many years now. So it should be a good time. Uh-huh. As long as I, uh, like, I, I don't drink as much as I used to. So I think it's going to be an entirely different conference experience than in the past. Um, it'll be interesting. Well, David, this has been an amazing conversation. I feel like I took away a bunch of stuff that I'm going to go try to execute on here this week. Uh, around my prospecting and business development efforts. Any final words of wisdom you'd like to leave to the listeners? Oh, man. Well, first of all, Jesse, thanks for having me. Um, I love these conversations. I think this is super important. I think right now, if I was an SDR or if I was an AE, there's a lot of noise right now about your jobs becoming obsolete. AI is going to do it for you. Man, don't believe that shit. For a very long time, the human element is going to be the differentiator. If you are a smart human who knows what good looks like and can distinguish bullshit from truth, 
you're going to be an invaluable resource because for a long time, companies are going to be way out over their skis in terms of the reliability of the insights that they're delivering. And they're going to automate a bunch of things that are going to fly the plane directly into the side of the mountain. You human reps who can distinguish the bullshit from the truth and who can, you know, kind of apply some human reasoning to things to figure out when you're being led in a bad direction, you're going to be integral to the process. And so don't let people, one, tell you that you're no longer relevant or two, convince you that you ought to put shit on autopilot. That's now is not the time for autopilot in 10 years. Shit, everything will probably be automated. Who fucking knows? Um, but for right now, Y'all frontline reps that they're trying to get rid of are going to be the thing that either makes this fly or fall. And so you're, you're more important than you ever have been. And don't let people tell you otherwise. And it, the companies that, that think they're going to get away with downsizing in the short term are going to be the ones that fail first. So hold your head up. You, you still got a job. Well, David, thank you so much. Great message and uh, look forward to connecting at Unleash and hope to have you back on the pod soon. Hey, I appreciate it, Jesse. You have a great day, buddy. 